We have an obituary to talk about uh, in this segment, and to help us do that is uh, our oldest pal here at Radio Parallax, Dr. Andy Jones. Welcome back to uh, the show, Dr. Andy. Thank you very much, Doug. I wish it had been under happier circumstances, but I'm very pleased to talk about one of my favorite short story writers and novelists, J.D. Salinger. Passed away at age 91. He uh, he did live quite a long life, most of it in obscure. Uh, well, I wouldn't say obscurity, most of it uh, as a recluse. Outside of the public eye, for most of us, he kind of froze right there in about 1965 when he published his last work, which was a short story in The New Yorker. And we haven't uh, seen him since. He's been growing old pretty much all by himself up there in, in New Hampshire. We want to get to this sooner or later. Might as well just jump right into it. There have been rumors for like decades now that Salinger's been writing and that a lot of people, of course, are big fans and, and there's sort of a hope that there may be a bunch of novels uh, and short stories laying around. Do we have any indication that, uh, that such is the case that you know of? Well, Joyce Maynard was Salinger's uh, teenage girlfriend in about 1970, 71. And she said that uh, he had given her the impression that he had at least two novels in a safe in his home. Now, she had never seen these novels, so we don't know for sure. But rumors have it that, uh, and he said this in one of his uh, final interviews, that he's so sick of fame, that he was so sick of people making a big deal over him, that although he continues to write, he does so entirely for pleasure and for himself. And he had many decades to uh, work on that pleasure by himself. And so we can only hope that something will come of that and that we'll uh, have some more Salinger stories or even novels to read. Well, I do hope such is the case, having just reread his most celebrated work, The Catcher in the Rye, 1951 novel. And, of course, as an instructor of English, that, uh, that I'm sure is a novel that's near and dear to you. Uh, I loved that novel. And... When I brought up uh, the passing of J.D. Salinger in class uh, on the day that his death was announced, I asked my students how many of them had read Catcher in the Rye, and just about every hand went up. And then we talked in class about uh, there is no other literary work for which that would be true. Not The Scarlet Letter, not even Hamlet, have all my students read, but all of them seem to have read the Catcher in the Rye. Now, I, I teach pretty hip students, so I don't know if they're the best uh, sample, but it is impressive that this 1951 novel, as you mentioned, uh, a pretty slim novel about a, a young, jaded American uh, uh, boy who had just been expelled from prep school, that uh, it continues to strike a nerve uh, even with uh, students who were born in, get this, 1990. <laughs> well, this is the third go-through for me. I read it in high school. I read it when I was about 30, when I was, I think, about in medical school. And now that I'm uh, in the middle years, I guess you might say, it's a different novel uh, each time I read it. It's, it's, it, it there's, there's so many layers in the thing. It continues to speak to you, doesn't it? Even yes. Even though uh, it, it spoke to you, I bet, very loudly when you were in high school and uh, meant a lot to you, but it means different things today. Yes, it does, and, and, I, and I, I, I realized how much I was missing on the previous go-throughs because uh, the character, Holden Caulfield, is obviously a very sophisticated, extremely bright kid who's obviously way ahead of his time in many respects, and then, on the other hand, is still a gawky adolescent in so many ways. 
He was also ahead of uh, Salinger's time in the 50s, 70s, 90s, and, and today. Imagine uh, any other sort of character, I guess Hamlet would be another good example, that uh, continues to speak to us so many uh, decades after he was uh, created. I guess we all wish that we could be that smart, that uh, headstrong and confident, and yet uh, that, that jaded and impatient with uh, phonies. We always, I guess, speculate as to how much of the, the character in the book represents the author, but uh, in the book, he's railing against the phonies of the world, and it does seem that in real life, Salinger did reject fame and fortune and all that that meant. So it must, must be reflective in, in the character. Salinger, it seems to me, reflected almost everyone. Not only um, phonies, but also uh, heartfelt fans. He just told his agent to go ahead and burn his fan mail. <laughs> Just burn it. I don't know if he wanted to know that it had been burned. Today, we probably just would have recycled it. He wanted to uh, play no part of, um, of being famous. And uh, as far as we know, even though uh, his royalties have paid for that huge estate he had in Cornish, New Hampshire, he did a pretty good job with his, uh, his tall fences around his property and the long dirt road to get to his home. <laughs> it was enough to uh, keep people from bothering him. You know, one thing I do want to say about this book was how often I, I laughed out loud. It's a very, very funny work. And I think that's one reason why it, um, it strikes a nerve, because students, they generally don't want to read what's being assigned to them. But something so funny and witty as Catcher in the Rye, they, they welcome the opportunity to read it. And as the New York Times said uh, in the obituary, that it is uh, as much a, a rite of passage for uh, teenagers as a learning permit. Well, Dr. Andy, I, I gather that uh, Mr. Salinger was uh, quite influential. He was influential, especially during those crucial post-war years in the 1950s. Certainly, Catcher in the Rye was a huge book, but also through the 1950s, The New Yorker was publishing a, a great number of Salinger's uh, stories. His final story in 1965 was 25,000 words and took up much of that particular week's uh, New Yorker when it was published. And uh, a great number of writers thereafter looked to the New Yorker and looked to Salinger uh, as examples of what one could do with dialogue, what one could do with characterization. In his later story, Salinger also resisted the urge to kind of wrap up uh, the ending of a story with a very neat bow. But there is a kind of uh, Zen complacency that many uh, readers and critics noticed in his uh, stories that gave them a more um, lifelike reflection of who we are and what our lives are like. And many authors, and I'm thinking of uh, John Updike in particular, uh, and many other fiction writers who uh, began to flourish in the 1950s and thereafter. Many writers uh, either acknowledged and incorporated that influence or uh, tried to respond to it or even rebel against it. But he was a, a huge and important figure, in part because everyone read him, and he was a certain common denominator for uh, literate people, especially on the, on the East Coast, where um, Salinger set many of his stories in New York and Connecticut, Pennsylvania, uh, that particular area. One thing that struck me, and I'm not sure where exactly I read this, was that uh, someone said the problem with uh, like reading the, the Catcher in the Rye was that 
the narrator is so distinctive in his voice that he, when you try to, try to write something, you wind up writing like Holden Caulfield. I think that's right. Uh, people said that Salinger's was the strongest and most original of uh, the voices of that era. And therefore, it was difficult not to sound like him once you had read his prose over and over again. Very much the way that uh, certain musicians in the mid to late 60s had to either figure out that they were going to sound like the Beatles or try not to sound like the Beatles. But the, <laughs> that the Beatles were there and they couldn't quite escape the influence. Is The Catcher in the Rye your favorite of his works? I know people say that uh, Franny and Zoe, I guess, is a, a lot of folks' uh, favorite. Catcher in the Rye is my favorite. I really love uh, the stories. One of my favorites is titled, I think it's called A Perfect Day for Banana Fish, <laughs> which is just a, a heartbreaking story and uh, shocking to uh, people who had read Catcher in the Rye because there is a, um, a surprise ending. And it still catches my heart in my throat when I read it all these decades later. Oh, my. That was, it's such a titillating description that I think a lot of people, including myself, have to go out and read it now. <laughs> I, think, I think you better find that. One thing that's, uh, that The New Yorker, which was the long time and since the 50s, really the only home for uh, fiction, magazine fiction of J.D. Salinger, one thing that The New Yorker has done, I've heard, is that they put a lot of the stories for which they have the copyright right up on their website. So we have an opportunity now to uh, go see some Salinger very uh, casually on the web at uh, the website of The New Yorker, which I believe is newyorker.com. Well, Dr. Andy, thanks for looking at uh, a great writer, J.D. Salinger, and I guess we can join you in hoping that someone's going to have a press conference the next few weeks and announce that there's uh, several new novels that they'll be publishing soon. I think it'll be, uh, it'll be months rather than weeks, but we can, we can always be hopeful I remember reading an article, oh, perhaps 25 years ago, of Salinger fans, where no matter how much they loved the writer, they said that they uh, did not look with despair at the day that he would pass away, because that might mean, indeed, <laughs> that we would uh, get our hands on some of his great stories and even novels. Well, before you leave us, uh, Dr. Andy, any, any poetry uh, readings and such coming up? Any, any things on the, the literary front, an area which we are somewhat... Uh, frankly remiss on in this program. <laughs> well, every first Wednesday of the month, I host a poetry reading at Bistro 33 uh, at the Poetry Night at Bistro 33 series. And those begin at 8 o'clock now. We've got a, a great number of uh, writers coming. And on March 3rd, I think it is, the first Wednesday in March, uh, we have John Bowe who is a professor of uh, writing in the university writing program and who uh, tells some of the, um, the best and most ribald stories, many of them taken from folklore, uh, that you can find anywhere. So it's part poetry reading, part storytelling, and part raunchy stand-up comedy, the sort of comedy that uh, we wouldn't be able to have him reproduce even on KDVS, <laughs> everyone's favorite campus and community radio station. And I want to remind our listeners that Dr. Andy Jones is the host of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, heard every Wednesdays at 5 o'clock on this very same station. That's right, Doug, and I'm uh, happy to call KDVS my home as you do. And I'll remind folks as well that April's right around the corner. People should be thinking now about what they want to give to support this local community and cultural resource. Indeed they should. Dr. Andy, it's been a pleasure again. Come back soon. 
I will, Doug. Talk to you soon. All righty. Bye-bye. We have a few minutes left on the program, and uh, we, I think, need to talk to an old friend of ours, Matt Kaplan, producer of the excellent program we heard right here on KDVS, uh, Planetary Radio. Every Friday is at 9 o'clock. Uh, we are treated to that, and so it's our pleasure to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Matt Kaplan. Doug, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Now, Matt, uh, this is kind of we're doing some obituaries to round out the show, and I guess that the appropriate obituary for you is to talk about the end of the Mars rover. The Spirit rover is no longer a rover. Well, yes, uh, although uh, the rumors of its entire demise have been exaggerated, uh, to paraphrase Mark Twain. Uh, it's uh, still very much uh, alive and hopefully is going to live through the winter. Yeah, but it's, at this point, they're talking about more like it was a weather station than a rover. Yeah, although, uh, and, and this is actually in the current show, uh, we're uh, talking to the project manager, uh, John Callis, and he and Steve Squires and others have talked about the great science they're going to be able to do. Weather is part of it, you're right. But another one, it, which only is possible because it's going to be absolutely stock still, is to help determine whether uh, Mars has a, a liquid or a solid core, which it can do because it's going to be sitting there without moving. I guess because it's not moving, you get such an incredibly precise location that I guess you're kind of doing what looking for Martian plate tectonics or something. Or exactly right, yes, and it's because Mars has a little bit of a wobble, like like most of us and most planets, <laughs> and uh, that wobble will be different depending on you know what the planet is, uh, what its state is at, at its core. And uh, they can actually tell from the radio signal. This is one of these, as I said to John Callis, one of these Doppler miracles uh, that's just incredibly sensitive receivers. And they can, in three dimensions, tell whether the rover is moving. Well, I certainly think our listeners are going to want to tune in tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock to hear from Steve Squires. We had him on this show, and he certainly is a great guest. But, Matt, as long as I'm talking about Mars with you, uh, the current cover of... New Scientist magazine talks about how forget the moon, forget Mars, where we ought to go is to one of Mars' moons, Phobos. An interesting, interesting suggestion. It certainly is. And uh, now I'll, here's a plug for the Planetary Society. We're part of a, a Russian mission called Grunt, which is, <laughs> believe it or not, Russian for the word soil, which is gonna, supposedly going to do exactly this later this year. Uh, they're going to launch to Mars, grab a little piece of Phobos, and bring it back. And Planetary Society has a little experiment called Life on this probe. It, it's a tough mission, but it does represent exactly the kinds of things that, that we think ought to be, be happening, uh, and in fact that, that are backed in large part by uh, the just-revealed uh, new NASA budget and, and plans, uh, which have lots of exploration of the solar system built in. Oh, and I should mention, Doug, I, I, w I wish we'd had Steve Squires on as well, but it's uh, just John Callis, the, the uh, rover project manager that we have on. But we'll get Steve back uh, soon. I'm, I'm confident that, that you will. There's been a lot of publicity about this budget. They're talking about uh, canceling going, going to the moon, and uh, some people kind of thought that was bad, but I guess this, this idea of spending more money going out to the planets has a lot of people pretty happy about it at the Planetary Society. You bet. And, uh, you know, I'm with uh, Buzz Aldrin, who says there's nothing wrong with going to the moon. More power to the countries who want to go there. Uh, they can find all the stuff that we left 40 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and let's, let's move on. Let's do real explore, exploration and target Mars and, and other places that are really interesting. 
You know, since you mentioned that, Matt, someone was quoting Buzz Aldrin as, as if he lost his mind when he was referring to a monolith on Phobos like it was the 2001 Space Odyssey. But in that magazine, they showed there is an odd little structure on, on Phobos that, that they call the monolith. That's news to me. I'll have to look that up, Doug. That's, uh, <laughs> I hope it... It doesn't have uh, a, a proto-human chimps dancing around it, does it? I, I don't, not, not as far as I know, and as far as I know, it's not a perfect rectangle, so or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it gives the face something to look at when it looks up at the sky. Good lord, good lord! <laughs> we did we did some debunking of that, and I just that just goes on and on, doesn't it? Yes, it sure does. <laughs> it won't die. Well, Matt, uh, it, it's been a great pleasure uh, speaking with you again. I, I do well as long as you're here. I want to just we're going to get rebroadcast, of course, on KZFR up in Chico, and, and you used to be on up there. And I think the good folks up there better take a look again, see if they can't put you back on. Doug, as you know, we are incredibly grateful to you for uh, well for opportunities like this, but also for the help that you've given us up there, and uh, helping get Planetary Radio out to uh, lots of our. Uh, Good friends and listeners up in Northern California and, uh, of course, all of us down here, the smart ones anyway, envy all of you who get to live up there. <laughs> well, Matt, it's been my pleasure. I know the public affairs directors a few years ago when I drew their attention to your show gave a listen and thought, boy, we need to use this, and, and, and it's been on ever since, and, and people certainly enjoy it. So we hope that you'll keep up the good work. Well, we'll sure try. Thank you, Doug. You too. All right, Matt. I know at the top of the program we talked about uh, having three friends from public affairs on, but we're not going to have time today to talk to France Cossing about uh, her uh, wonderful series of chats with the recently departed historian Howard Zinn, but we'll get to that uh, in the next week or two. I'm sure we'll have Matt Kaplan on again later in the year. Before we go, we want to tell you that, uh, speaking of Mars, if you go out uh, in the Evening sky and look to the east. You can't miss the beautiful orange Mars hanging out uh, among the stars. Its reddish-orange color is quite unmistakable, and the Earth is in the process of lapping Mars on the inside, so it's the closest it's going to be for the next couple of years. Check it out. In fact, Mr. McMillan, this gives us a chance to go out with that excellent uh, piece from Gustav Holtz. The theme from My Favorite Martian? No. Our thanks to Will Durst, William Poundstone, Dr. Andy Jones, and Matt Kaplan. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. This has been Radio Parallax. we got some great guests coming up. We'll see you next week. <laughs>